All right, so I used to hear words like these a lot. Um, it went kind of like, Eddie, you know, don't touch that, okay? Or, Eddie, how in the world did you manage to do that? Or, Eddie, just stop, stop. And um, you see, I used to work at a small, underdeveloped campground on the lake. And so, needless to say, there was a lot of manual labor that had to be done. Um, and uh, it was a pretty good learning experience for me. I mean, I don't know if you can picture me riding, you know, a backhoe, operating a backhoe, or sitting on the back of a tractor, or like using a log splitter or a chainsaw. Um, it was a it was a sight to see. And if uh, and if you've been on the setup team with me, you know kind of what I'm talking about. You just can't picture it, okay? Um, but uh, by the grace of God, I had an awesome boss, okay? Uh, he was an excellent communicator, and he was a loving um, father figure. He was really a strong believer. Um, but apart from him being a believer, the thing I liked about him most was how he would communicate to me. He had a way of saying you know, one thing from one direction, and then coming around and saying the same thing from another direction, and then coming at it from the totally opposite direction. And so I needed that, because if I didn't know how to use this tool, it would chop my hand off. And so, and he was great at communicating those things to me. And, um, and so the things that were so fuzzy in my brain, he made absolutely crystal clear. And that is exactly what the Apostle John is doing in our text today. He's saying the same things that he's been saying since chapter 2, only in a new way from a different perspective. This is what he's been doing from the beginning, and if you're seeing this repetition that the Apostle John is writing as just mere redundancy, then you're missing out. You're missing the full-bodied, complete picture that John is trying to make of what light and love looks like in genuine believers. So let's remember why the Apostle John is writing this book, all right? The Apostle John is nearing the end of his life. He's an old man. So this is John, the one who walked with Jesus during his earthly ministry, who reclined at the table and lays head on Christ's breast. This is John, who was there and witnessed Christ being crucified. This was John, the one that ran to the tomb when he heard it was empty, and the one that saw Christ raised from the dead. So he knows the truth. He's seen the truth. He's touched the truth. He's heard the truth. And this apostle John is characterized by the love of this truth. And so that's why the apostle John has been affectionately known as the elder, a loving father figure. And his love is seen all through this book as a loving, tender father would write to his beloved children. So these children are being absolutely torn apart by the sharp fangs and teeth of these false teachers, by the claims that these false teachers are making about the person of God. They're being lured away, and the genuine believers left in the church are shaking in their boots. And so John writes a book for this occasion. He writes to these believers in these churches, as he says in chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's giving a full, complete, multifaceted writing that captures what a genuine believer is and how a genuine believer can tell apart a false teacher and their claims. 
And so he writes this book much like one would write a symphony, rather than a complete argument that Paul does in Romans. So the letter builds on itself on themes of light and love, new variations, different tones, different keys of music, so that we can have a full picture of assurance as God's children. So if you hold on and you don't disconnect from the series, from this today, and you put all the pieces together, you will know how beautiful the love of God is and how brightly it will be displayed and shine through his bride, which is the church, everyone here sitting in these chairs that know Christ as their savior, who know this truth and who are in this light. And how people who don't know Christ are naturally dark and devoid of this light. So in 1 John 4, um, chapter, chapter 4, verses 7 through 16, John told us how to love one another because we know God. And how do we know? How do we know? How do we love this God? Well, because God is love. He said we can see the displayed love of God through his son in verse 9 of chapter 4. He can see the love of God by what he did in sending his own son. So we can see the character of God in what he did in sending his son, Jesus. And in verse 11, if God loved us this much, we ought to love others in the same exact way. So in verse 12, if we are abiding that is living in this love, in this God who is love, we love just like he is. And even though we can't see God, Because no one can. People will see him through us. And John says that when this is happening, love is perfected in us. That is, we become more like God and displaying that to others. So much in the same way my boss at that campground would tell me the same thing, only in a different way, so I'd have a full and complete picture, John does so here today in this text. So John is changing the musical keys, progressing through the movement of chapter 4, 7 through 16, To our text today, in verses 17 to 21, changing keys, adding new notes, saying the same thing in a different way, encouraging us and assuring us as believers as a loving father would to his dear children. So maybe some of you fathers here can can kind of grasp that, of what that love is. I I can't, you know, I'm a single dude, but uh, maybe you can. Um, But what is he saying in our text today? The love of God realized in our hearts will display itself by loving others. And it should sound familiar because that's what we've been hearing almost every week. But this is how he says it, all right? He says it by emphasizing three things that characterize the life of the true Christian. The first is love perfected in us. Then as this love perfects, is perfected in us, it leads to the second characteristic of our confidence before God on judgment day, here now for judgment day later. And then the third is that this love perfected in us will dissolve all hatred between us. So let's read our text for today, starting chapter four, verses 17, and we'll read through 21. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, excuse me, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the first characteristic, the love of God is perfected in us. The true believer will evidence in himself the ever-increasing love of God in them. So let's look at verse 17 here in more detail, okay? By this, and what is this? Well, if you look in verse 16, it is the abiding in God and he in us. We are abiding in the love of God, okay? So by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. That is the day that we will all stand before the great white throne and give an account for our lives. For the day, for, for those that don't know Christ as their Savior, it'll be a terrible day. But for you and me who love Christ, it'll be a glorious day. But we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in the world. So, can you see how this is a different variation on what John has already said up to verse 13? So, let's look at verse 13. By this, what is this? He says in verse 12, love being perfected in us. Okay, so by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So in verse 13, we see that the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we are abiding in God. And so far in the book of uh, 1 John, wherever John writes of the role of the spirit of truth, it is always to direct us to the truth of Jesus Christ. And what is the truth of Jesus Christ? Well, that he is the God-man who through his sacrificial death brought us into the sweet, loving fellowship experienced within the Trinity. So that now, when God looks at us, his wrath has been propitiated or averted or turned off of us and there's only love now between us. So you see, the love of God perfected in us is a work of the Spirit and it evidences itself, it shows itself in us, in our lives, by our loving God more, and us loving others more. So what is this love that is perfected in us? It's the love of God, his character, who he is, shown through the gospel. So I want you this morning to be gripped by this love today, taken hold of by this love, to be overwhelmed by who our God is. So the love that is perfected in us and the confidence it produces, it's real, okay? It's real. You can feel it. You can taste it. This is not merely a cold, hard belief that you intellectually know in the same way I intellectually know what it's like to be a billionaire, okay? I'm a grad student. I have no idea, okay? This is something you experience and you know is true. John said in chapter 4, verse 16, so we have come to know And to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And in verse 9 of chapter 4 he says, In this the love of God was made manifest, shown among us. 
that God sent his only son in the world so that we might live through him. So this means that we can objectively look at the love of God and we can examine it. We can see it. We can see more of this God of who we are living in. So we know from last week what what kind of love we're talking about. So Ben, he beautifully displayed it, beautifully described it as God inviting us by his son, that is Jesus, into the intimate love experienced between each member of the Trinity. And this kind of love is perfected in us. And this isn't talking about a sinless state. It's talking about a maturation, this being matured in us, coming to completion, being full-orbed. So this love is perfected in us by the Holy Spirit, where we're becoming more like God by loving in the same way he loves others. So John defined and described the way God loves in verses 9 through 11 that we talked about last week. So in order to understand and be gripped by this love for our text today, let's go back and revisit that, okay? So let's gaze at the beauty of the love of God that is being perfected in us. So in 1 John 4, 9 through 11, let's read this. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So John describes the love of God in chapter four in terms of sacrifice and and propitiation. So we see who this God is in his character, and no one has seen him, but we can, people can see him through us, through this. So this word propitiation, you know, it's a hard word, okay? And I know probably none of you have said this word in a conversation in the last 10 years except to ask, what is propitiation in terms of our um, series here? But the word propitiation, the word propitiation he uses twice in this book, and it's in the context of our passage And so it's how John is describing the character of God as displayed in the gospel. So the word, it assumes the guiltiness and sinfulness of mankind. Okay, it assumes that. Coupled with the burning wrath and fury of a holy and righteous God against them. And that will be unleashed on those who don't know God on the day of judgment. But if you have trouble like understanding that picture of God and that doesn't sit well with you, then read Romans from start to finish and that'll, that'll clear it up for you. But, uh, but propitiation, it describes the turning away of that wrath and fury off of you onto Christ and then redirecting the favor and the righteousness of Christ on you. See, God, he didn't overlook our sins The just penalty of our sin is death. And the love of God was shown when God gave his son to redirect all that wrath that we deserved onto Jesus. So God offered his son. He offered his son. I'm in a little Bible study on Tuesday mornings and that hit us as we thought of this. We often in church say these Christian terms, these biblical truths, as though they mean nothing. But God gave his son. So can you feel what that might have felt like for God to give his son 
to save you and me. I picture someone that I love dearly giving away like God did his son and how painful that must be. So Christ, he died for us, the ungodly haters of him. We were his complete enemies and God sent his son to die for us. And we need to remember he didn't have to do this for us. He did it because He is an overabundance of grace. He is an overabundance of grace and mercy. And what? What do you think? What do you think he is? Love. An overabundance of love. And he spilled that over onto us. We are the product of the spillover of the superabundance, the mercy, grace, and love of God. So if you want to get a grip on that, you want to see that more in all its splendor, you need to read Ephesians 1 in your own time. But the gospel, this would be like, okay, if you were to leave your home here in Greenville, okay, and you were to fly across the world to Iraq, and you were to buy a tent, and you were to pitch it in the middle of an ISIS campground, okay, and you lived there among them, and you died by their own hand, And you did that to save them. And you did that to adopt that man that took your life into your own family. And to give him all of your inheritance. See, that is the kind of love modeled by God and sending his son into the world for you and me. So when we are living in that radical love that is God, we can't help but willfully and consciously throughout the course of our life, mature and grow in that. So Romans 5, 7 through 8 says, but God, some versions say demonstrated, but God showed his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He showed who he is to us by his son. And a little later in Romans, the Apostle Paul describes that what Christ did for you as assurance that God loves you. And nothing can separate you from this love. So let's look at Romans 8, 31 through 35. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We've seen those themes in 1 John. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And he goes on to say that no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So there's no greater evidence God could give you for the love that he is and the love that he has shown to you than his son, Jesus. There's nothing more you could ask for. There's nothing more you could want than what he already did in sending his son for you. 
God is love. And it is so fulfilling. So can you see this morning, I hope you can, the love of God demonstrated for you. And would it not incite you through the power of the Holy Spirit to show that same kind of love to others as you see in this awesome God that we're reading about here. So every now and then, I like to go to Little Washington, okay? It's, um, it's 20 minutes down the road, but I always feel like I'm at least five hours away. <clears throat> I like to walk down the boardwalk, and uh, no matter what you throw into the water, the turtles will eat it, so I love uh, just throwing things in there. Um, but I also like... Um, I also like walking through the historic neighborhoods, okay? Some of the houses are just absolutely beautiful. Um, And as is typical in eastern North Carolina, thunderstorms just randomly come out of nowhere, okay? So I was walking through the neighborhoods, and this thunderstorm came out of nowhere. It started raining, and I was far enough from my car to where I couldn't make it in time because I'd still be sopped. So I did one of those, like, awkward half runs, half walks, you know? And And then I heard... A voice, and it was an older lady, and uh, she was calling me up, come here, come here, come out of the rain. And so she brought me up onto her, uh, her beautiful porch. She had flowers everywhere. It was just a sphere of, you know, wonderful smelling flowers. The fragrance is great. And uh, she offered me lemonade. We sat down, and her son came out. It's, it's kind of weird, but, but it's true. It's a true story. Um, <clears throat> and she offered me lemonade, and, and we talked well after the rain had left. And uh, preparing this sermon, I thought of this. Because when we experience the love of God, who reached his arms of love down from heaven and around us and brought us into his sphere of love, we actually want to be the same with others because we experience the love of God in this way. So that lady who reached down from her nice home and pulled me off the street out of the rain, kept me from getting struck by lightning, letting me sit there, sip lemonade and those, those beautiful fragrant flowers. Sitting in that sphere of kindness would naturally make me want to reciprocate that to someone else. For someone else walking in the rain, I would want to bring them up out of the rain and onto that porch. So Christ brought us out of the guilt of sin and the penalty of death and brought us into the loving family of God. So when you're brought into this sphere of love, you begin to mimic this kind of love to others. You and me, we become a miniature illustration of the love of God to others. And it's not just that you want to, you can't help it because you see the God who is love, you're abiding in him and he's abiding in you. And so you begin to reach down and out, trying to bring others into this same sphere of love. So this is what John means this morning by the love of God perfected in you, that we look more like our God by loving him more and loving others more. And this isn't an immediate thing that just happens. Um, It's a process. It's a lifelong thing. And so this brings John to the second characteristic, the second emphasis of what a true, genuine believer is. And that is this love that's being perfected in us produces in us confidence for the day of judgment. So let's read verses 17 through 19, okay? By this is love perfected with us, which we just looked at. 
so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. God is the initiator of this love. So it should be pretty obvious for you by now that this kind of love that's being perfected in us is that of a full, a fullness of a mutual love relationship between you and your judge. And if you were kind of zoning out and you didn't catch that, between you and your judge, okay? When you stand before God one day and your head is low and you look up and you see, wow, my judge is the one I love and the one who loves me. We can have confidence here and now for that day then that that will be what we see. So we are living in him and he is living in us and as we are abiding in him and he in you, And we behold the love that God has for us by the spirit of God. We are ever increasing in our actual love towards others. And so you have now been brought into the same kind of relationship with God as Jesus has with his father. We're living now more and more as Jesus lived on this earth. So you remember back on chapter two, verse six, it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to to walk in the same way in which he walked. As we're abiding in God, we're going to start walking more and more like him. So here's a, another example of this, okay? Um, we've all been in middle school, all right? I know that. And middle school is hard. It's not only hard for you, but it's hard for everyone else around you, okay? And when I was in middle school, I lived on a beautiful farm. Um, and when dad would come home from work, we would all typically eat dinner together, and then we'd hang out in the living room together as a family. And, um, and then around 9.30, it'd be time for my sister and I to go to bed, so she'd run to her room, and I'd run to my room. And, uh, and before I'd fall asleep, I would reach between my mattress and my bed spring, and I hid something under there, and I was debating on whether or not I should tell you what it is, um, but I think I will. It was a Nickelback CD. So... <laughs> Never has any band been mocked more from the pulpit than Nickelback. So I'm really ashamed to say that to you today, but um, it was really bad. And I listened to it uh, before I would go to sleep. Um, and then there was, as my friends would give me more CDs, I'd hide it under my bed too. But um, my dad um, would oftentimes, uh, he and mom would be hanging out in the living room and they would be coming back. Um, mom would go to sleep, but dad would oftentimes come and he would knock on our door, come in, and he'd lay on my bed, and he would just talk to me personally, ask me about my day, share with me about his. And uh, it was really a great time. But when I'm listening to my music, you know, I would see the light from the hallway. And then as my dad was walking, I would see his shadow cast under my door from his legs. And I would, in fear, I would take off my headset and I'd shove it between my bed just before he opened the door. And, uh, and fear would fill me. Because I was fearing the punishment that would come from him finding that. And also, the, the guilt produced in me from hiding from my dad. So as he would lay on my bed, he was literally laying on my guilt. And, uh, yeah. 
And so uh, that guilt just eventually wore me out. And so I did this a number of times with my dad where I would just go and I would confess to him. I would bring all my CDs and I'd say, Dad, this is everything I'm hiding from you. I'm sorry, forgive me. And it was a, I did that a number of times. But I still remember this day to what my dad would continually assure me in. He told me how much he loved me and how there was nothing I could ever do to make him love me any less. And this example much in every way describes the heart of what John is trying to get at here in verse 17 through 19. The guilt of me hiding those CDs under my mattress coupled with the fear of being caught produced in me all kinds of fear when he came into my room, when I saw his shadow under my door. And the fear that John describes here is that of punishment and guilt and shame. You see, when my transgression was confessed to my father and the love of my father was realized in me, the mutual love between us was perfected in me. So I hope you're seeing how all of this is fitting together so far. This new variation of John that he's describing of what this looks like in a believer. So from then on, when my dad came into the room, my heart was spilling over in love and joy. You see, there was no room in me for fear because it was full of love. And when you know the God who is love intimately, and his love is shining through you, this perfection of love provides confidence to the true Christian right now, more and more through our life for that day when we'll stand before him, that this is Christ who loves me, who loved me this much that he died for me, and that my record is as clear as my judge's record. And so because of this, as he is, that is Jesus, so are we in this world. And this is confidence rooted and grounded in the love of God of which we are abiding in, of which was expressed in sending his son as a propitiation for us. For we have just talked about this love. And this is the kind of love that we've been brought into. So our confidence is because as he is, so also are we in this world. The Holy Spirit is convincing us of this truth. So remember back to verse 13, okay? God has infinite love for Jesus and is well pleased with him. So I hope you remember back. John alludes to this in his gospel, but it's very clear here in Mark. So, so listen, listen to this and read along with me. Mark chapter 1, 10 through 11. And this is just after Jesus was baptized um, as he began his earthly ministry. And when he came up out of the water, that is Jesus, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you am I well pleased. And if you are in Christ today, then you too walk in those words. When God gave Christ as a propitiation for our sins, that is, he died for us on the cross and he bore the penalty of our sins and transferred the righteousness of Christ onto us, onto our account, we too are pleasing to the Father as his son is. 
This is completely because of what his son did for us on the cross. So we can have confidence now for the day of judgment then. So this brings us to the last and third characteristic here that John has um, for the true Christian. And it's that we will love others and that this love of God will dissolve all hatred between us. So John here, as he's finishing up chapter four, he's wrapping up the full argument that we've seen in the beginning of chapter four where he's calling out these false teachers. So let's read um, verse 20 through 21. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we see here that the necessary expression of the love of God is our love for others. And this same love that wants to bring others in and becomes completed in us, perfected in us, and is driving out fear of judgment, it will also dissolve hatred among us. And John is showing here, he's wrapping up this argument, contrasting the lives of the false teachers who are claiming truth, but who in and of themselves are absolutely loveless. So he's saying to the church that there can be no dichotomy. Okay, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. And if you're doing that, you're just lying. You're just a liar. So he breaks it down to even simpler terms. How can you love God, who you can't see, when you don't even love those that you can see? So this brings John back to a similar point, that to not love your brother is just disobedience, just rank disobedience. And if you remember earlier in John, obedience to God is another form of confidence that you have that you are a believer. And so Integrity Church, how will people see us as the church, each and every one of us individually and collectively together? How will they see us? How will Greenville see us? Are we showing the love of God so that others see it and say, oh my God, look at how they love each other. And as I said in the beginning, I've personally seen this and I have matured in my love for God and how I've seen this love of God displayed here among you. And it's been encouraging and it's been convicting for me. This text is really convicting for me. So the world will know that we are children of God by our love for each other. So going back to that rainy day in Little Washington, that nice old lady, she had a prism. She had many things um, hanging off of her porch. One of those was a prism. That prism would catch the light beams from the sky and would translate that light into a beautiful spectrum of color. You see, this is what the love of God does in us here, Integrity Church. When the light of the gospel, the light of the truth 
of God shines and hits us like that light beam does that prism. It radiates to others the beautiful love character of who God is. So people will see us and say, oh my God, look at the church. Look at them. Look at how they love each other, how beautiful they are. How much more beautiful must be their Savior? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what we've seen this morning, for your character, for your love displayed for us by Jesus coming here and dying for us. And Father, I ask that as, a, as the body of Christ, that just as we are doing that, we do so more and more, loving each other. Thank you for the love that I've seen here displayed to me. Thank you for everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.